As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Monday, June 5th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. And you know, you know when you're starting a podcast and your internet has been shaky for the last half hour, it's kind of like when you're on an airplane and you take off during a thunderstorm. This is going to be, it's going to be bumpy. This might see be a rough stick edit. This landing. Let's just see if we can get through this before the internet goes down for the entire afternoon. I can go without internet for pretty much the rest of the day, but I kind of need it to get the show done. So on this episode... We will dig into the upcoming debut of Andrew Abbott as he joins the Reds rotation. We saw Reese Olsen make his debut over the weekend. Brian Wu got the call from the Mariners. That happened after the waiver pod was recorded on Friday. Uh, A.J. Smith-Shaver showed up out of the bullpen for Atlanta. We've got a June pitcher rankings update from Eno, so a few questions for me that I wanted to bring to the table, and then some mailbag Monday questions as well. So lots of ground to cover, internet permitting we begin with Andrew Abbott who I think is extremely difficult to evaluate for several reasons one the pre-tacked ball that he started with at double a two a very brief stop at triple a and three getting to pitch half of his games at great American ballpark as he breaks in for the Reds on Monday night yeah I tend to uh I'm a little shy there given that even um somebody that the model loves in Graham Ashcraft and even somebody that the model loves even more in Hunter Green is uh not necessarily like thriving uh the way that you might expect someone uh with his scout pedigree and his background and his you know model numbers and you know, you've got a whole uh, set of issues there uh, in in Great American, so I I tend to kind of uh, be out on Abbott, um, but uh, you know there are things that that are in his favor, um, and uh, certainly some amazing um, minor league strikeout numbers. Yeah, I mean the stuff's going to play at least in terms of piling up whiffs. Whether or not we get anything close to ratios we've seen from him in the good stops in the minors, that seems like a bit of a reach. The projections that are out there have a 467 ERA and a 137 whip that comes from the bat. I think Steamer's a little more optimistic at 403 and 129. Both systems have him at or above a strikeout per inning, so that'll play. I mean, we're talking about someone who's going to be 
almost certainly a mixed league pickup, at least a deeper mixed league pickup come weekend, but uh, not necessarily the, the high ceiling you'd expect given some of the successes we've seen at a few different stops. Yeah, one thing I'm nervous about about Abbott in particular is just that uh, the fastball stuff plus, which is the most reliable of these stuff pluses, really the forcing fastball stuff plus for him in the minor leagues was 88. Um, and we know that you put that in hand in hand with the, you know, outsized results when he had the pre-tack ball, which is adding spin and adding life and making the fastball better. Um, that puts me sort of in a place where I, I'm, I wonder about the fastball and if the fastball is only okay. I do think the breaking ball is plus, um, but he may have to learn how to pitch backwards. There may be like a real adjustment period for him. It's sort of the opposite of what we've seen from Reese Olsen, where you know the the pitches might be more like high quality big league pitches in Reese Olsen's arsenal, even though the results throughout his time in the minors they don't really jump off the page. You see a lot of ERAs above four, some struggles at AAA this year, but lots of strikeouts pretty much everywhere he's pitched since 2021. Uh, occasional issues with control, and he was having those at AAA, but looked pretty good in that debut against the White Sox. On Friday night, I believe, time a little bit challenging for me as I uh, continue to ease into dad life. But all in all, I thought that was a lot of success from Riesels and more than I expected right away. My concerns were really more about the schedule because I think what we're looking for with Tiger starters in particular are runs of opportunities uh, at home. But if you look at Riesels' upcoming schedule, he's going to make his second big league start at Philadelphia on Wednesday. That's a tough spot in terms of park and matchup. And if you flash forward to next week, he's got Atlanta at home. So he gets one of the best offenses in the league in his home park. That's going to be kind of sketchy as part of a two-start week. And then he goes on the road to target field to face the Twins. So part of what kept me away from Olsen is just not liking those matchups once we were able to start using him. It's true. I'm a little nervous about throwing him uh, in Philadelphia. I picked him up in a few places and will not, you know, in weekly places and will not pitch him in his first week. So a bit of a a stash and see. But I'm a little excited about that two-step. I think that, you know, this, the Braves offense is amazing, but also it's a good park for him. Um, And they haven't necessarily seen him. So there's not a lot of familiarity with his shapes in particular. And you get a two-step early on. So I'm excited about that. And, you know, Michael Lorenzen is showing us how that park can help someone who's, you know, average-ish uh, play up. So I'm I'm excited about him. His major league numbers looked a lot like his minor league numbers, which we uh, talked about here on Project Prospect and other places. Um, and I think that you're right. I think that the struggles with command is the issue even in his debut, he had 94 location plus on the sinker and 96 on the slider. So those are below average numbers, obviously in small samples that I wouldn't normally report, except that there has to, you kind of want to think, you know, like what is, what could be the issue here? And I guess, uh, you know, for a guy that has uh, four uh, pitches that are above average uh, by stuff plus, uh, and a 110 overall stuff plus, I think, I guess the, the answer is, uh, you know, watch the slider command, watch the fastball command. If you can't get into count leverage, that's how you get into trouble. That's how you show the strikeout rates he's had and the ERAs he's had. So uh, it's going to be all about getting into count leverage, getting those uh, good counts and doing so with pitches that he hasn't necessarily demonstrated a, a great ability to command. But 
this is totally someone I fall for, you know, it's just like mm-hmm. multiple pitches with stuff in a good park and seemingly a lot of runway. I'm in. Yeah. I mean, the, the scouting grades from fan graphs, 55 fastball, 55 slider with a future 60, 50 curve and a 70 changeup. And all of that comes with 30. 30 <laughs> I don't I mean, I, I say this a lot. I don't know if I've seen this combination before. I'm sure we've seen you know very good stuff with command grades in the 30s before. But four pitches where everything is at least a 50. You think if he could like repeat four pitches, he could command them. So uh, I, I'm still, I'm still in. Uh, I can, I can see the flaws. Uh, but you know, even the regular projection systems are fairly nice. You have to remember that it's a 4.30 uh, ERA is average. So you know, four of the five projections on Fangraphs have them as above, above average. In, yeah, in yeah. ERA, and you know, this, the whiffs seem to be there. Yeah, league context uh, is very important as you think about what you see in projections right now and what your own expectations are for players as they debut. Uh, we saw Brian Wu debut over the weekend. He was not part of our conversation on the Friday waiver show because we didn't know at the time that he was actually coming to the big leagues. Marco Gonzalez went on the IL as part of a corresponding move. By results, Brian Wu jumps off the page in terms of excellent strikeout rates, good walk rates in the minors, keeps the ball in the park. By underlying numbers, you have a few questions about the Arsenal. It was a rough debut. He went just two innings, and drawing the Rangers, this year's version of the Rangers for your first big league start is a tough assignment. So I'm curious what you saw from Brian Wu and where you think the next couple of turns might go, since it looks like he's going to get another opportunity or two. Even though they've got two off days on the schedule this week, he could start over the weekend against the Angels. If he sticks around for another week, he gets a home turn against the White Sox, another off day on the schedule next week, too. So three off days over the span of about 10 days for this Mariners team, which makes things a little easier to manage if they decide they want to be careful with Brian Wu. You know, Bryce Miller is struggling, so he could uh, push past Bryce Miller, but uh, it's not like Wu's debut uh, suggested that that's necessarily the the next thing that's going to happen. I I, I think there's, you know, whereas with Olsen, I think that there's anybody who pitches well, gets a rotation spot, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not sure that's necessarily true in Seattle where they have veterans like Marco Gonzalez. They have Chris Flexen. They have, uh, you know, a clear shot at, at staying in the wild card race. Like I, I don't think that they, um, that Brian Wu will necessarily, he could pitch well and go back down is what I'm saying. And the other thing that I see for Brian Wu, you know, I don't know if it's, if it's a trick of what happened, specifically like he only pitched two innings right so would he if he had pitched five innings would we have seen the change up more you know would we have seen the curve more would we have seen these other pitches more because all we did see in the two innings that he threw were the two fastballs and the slider so i'm not sure how deep his arsenal is and then the other thing that uh that really made me nervous was that the fastball forcing fastball shape wasn't amazing um and the slider is a super sweeper i mean like 18 inches big old frisbee he didn't get a single whiff on it he didn't get a single whiff on it and so i don't know what to do with that i don't know what to do with the fact that it's a big old sweeper and the lefties in particular were a problem for him and we didn't really see him do something different uh other than fastballs and sliders even to the lefties so um, I think there's some concern for me there with Brian Wu. Um, 
a little bit more concern than I have with some of the other young arms uh, that we're going to talk about today. So Brian Wu was on my radar more for keeper in dynasty leagues in the XFL league that I play in, uh, the one that I co-manage with Ryan Bloomfield. We have monthly supplemental drafts. We don't do weekly fab. We have deep enough rosters because of the minor leaguers and the benches to go about four weeks between sets of pickups. And then you do a supplemental draft on Sunday nights, which I actually like kind of a lot as opposed to weekly fab. It doesn't work as well in redraft as it does in keeper because the rosters are smaller. Uh, all that's to say, Wu was someone that was available in that draft because he wasn't previously rostered as a minor leaguer. It was more of a 2024 play. It was like, let's just pick him up. He's cheap. He'll be an inexpensive keeper if we like what we see. If it doesn't work out, no big deal. We're cutting someone who we're definitely not going to keep to make room for him. Um, so I, I think there's, it kind of sounds like there's legitimate reliever risk if it doesn't go well. And given the quality of their rotation, that could happen. But I think he will get a little bit of a window because the Gonzalez injury is a forearm strain. And they've already had a few other injuries chip away at some of their depth guys. I think it was uh, Easton McGee who got a call up earlier this year. He's hurt, raised down for the year. Uh, Flexen's already in the bullpen. So there's there's a lot of, of moving parts in Seattle. And, and maybe, just maybe, because they're a team that seems to want to skip pitchers over AAA, maybe there's a chance he sticks around a little bit longer. But I do like him better in those long-term formats where he can iron out some of the some issues. crazy strikeout rates in the minor leagues. I mean, yeah, yeah and I, I was trying to... Tried to pull up a leaderboard before my internet died. Before I was looking at double A pitchers from the last like five seasons who had strikeout rates and walk rates kind of similar to what Brian Wu was doing. And there, there were a handful of, of disappointing names on there. It was mostly good prospects. The, the kinds of guys that were underperformers. I mean, Ronzi Contreras has been an underperformer. He was in that group. I think Tobias Myers, who's bounced around from. Cleveland, Tampa Bay to Milwaukee and is still in the minor leagues. He's someone who had some success similar to Brian Wu at that level, and it hasn't worked out for him. Uh, there was a guy, Isaac Matson, I believe, for the Angels who hasn't had it click yet, but I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's it's more of a question of do you trust Seattle to help him continue to refine the arsenal? Because Brian Wu got to the big leagues a lot faster than expected you know, for a sixth round pick from two years ago, no one expected him to be in a rotation right now. So they may have to find a way to maybe narrow the arsenal for the short term, try to get oh, four or five innings per start. Yeah. Right. And and it's not, it, this might not be the, this might be far from the best version of him that we see. Like, I bet you he ends up being a glue guy. Like he's a guy who they use all his options this year. He comes up and he's in different roles. He ends up being kind of the long man out of the bullpen, you know, maybe the guy who takes over for Marco Gonzalez if, you know, they're they want to win the game and it's looking a little iffy or whatever, you know, like mm -hmm. I don't I don't necessarily see him as a set it and forget it kind of guy. Yeah. How do you see him compared to maybe Gavin Stone, who has been you know, demoted, as we've talked about? Like, who would you be more inclined to bet on in those long term leagues where both might be available? I, I like him more than Stone, but I like him. A little bit less, I think, than Reese Olsen. Um, I like him a little bit less than another name that we have on the rundown that people are looking at right now, A.J. Smith-Shaver. Um, and Smith-Shaver and Wu, I think, will be used in similar ways this year. You know, will help us get through this season. You know, not necessarily declare one of these rotation spots your own. You know, I just, I, I see those a little bit crowded in both situations, both win-now teams. 
Um, they're both uh, players that don't have a ton of innings on their resume, you know? Um, and so, you know, I think there's some, you know, how many innings do we get from this guy? And, and I don't know that either of them is uh, necessarily like a finished product, uh, quote unquote. And so uh, Smith Shaver, the reason I like him a little bit better than Wu is uh, the forcing fastball stuff plus is really good. Um, and the slider is average ish and the curveball has a ton of movement does not score well by stuff plus but um you know give me a guy with a great fastball and figuring the rest of the stuff out uh is uh, i think a great recipe uh for success and especially in the roles that these guys are going to have i think it'd be better to have a better fastball <laughs> you know like you're going to be in you know two three inning roles probably most likely and those roles require you know blow them away at the fastball and have a good enough secondary and i see that with smith shaver he got whiffs on his breaking ball even though uh the stuff plus wasn't amazing yeah i mean i, I think it's tricky because with the lack of quality starters available in a lot of the deeper leagues that we're playing in, the multi-inning relievers, the glue guys, could end up being uniquely valuable over these next four months. We have a long way to go. We need innings. We need chances the vulture wins. We need to make ratios better. And if you're getting multiple inning performances twice a week, two, three innings, whatever it might be, a total of five innings in a week from Smith Shaver or even like Dre Jamison, who's back in the bullpen right now for Arizona, those options could be better most weeks than your worst starter in some instances, depending on how deep your league is. So I think that's the other part of the equation, aside from how likely is it that this guy's going to stretch out and actually join the rotation. Like You have to factor that into the calculus too, but even if they don't join the rotation, some of these guys can be very productive for us the way they're being utilized. Yeah, there's an interesting thing going on in Atlanta, too, where they're giving Mike Soroka, uh, you know, what looks like the role, but it's he's not uh, performing that well. Um, and the model numbers uh, for Soroka aren't uh, aren't great either. The the fast the changeup has been flat. It has less ride than his sinker. And that's been true ever since he's been injured. Um, which, you know, 56 stuff plus, maybe that's a miss. Maybe that's, maybe the model is just, you know, it's a change up, it's nine innings, you know, maybe that's, it's not getting, but it is very rare in baseball to have a change up that has less drop than your fastball. Um, and, and so there's something strange going on there and the results are not great. Um, so, uh, I suppose there, there is a little bit of daylight there. Uh, for Smith Shaver to maybe elbow his way past the Dylan Dodds and Jared Schuster's of the world. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Step one has already happened. We have some breaking news. If you want to do the riff, I'll, I'll leave the window open What is the breaking news? Michael Soroka has been sent to AAA. No way! Yep, David O'Brien They only gave him two chances. Wow. I mean, this... Teams have stuff plus numbers. They are evaluating players like this. And, you know, you could, some part of you could say, it's Mike Soroka. He's finally healthy. He's got a track record. you got to leave him up. And then uh, the other part of you says, well, he's got a negative K minus BB. The stuff plus numbers are awful. The whiff numbers are awful. There's a lot of process that's going wrong here as well as results. Yeah, and I don't know how much you want to read into the success that he was beginning to have at AAA before they brought him back. I mean, the last 30 days at AAA, 386 ERA, 118 whip, 21 Ks, and 18 and two-thirds. But like, not that's amazing fine. strikeout or whiff totals. Right, just kind of getting by, getting good results without doing it in a dominant sort of way. If you took his name off of those results, I'm not sure that anybody would be pointing to that and be like, ooh, this pitcher's coming up. You could see, I mean, blind resume, I would guess that JP France was doing something similar and he didn't get the call until injuries happened, right? So maybe that's what Mike Soroka is at this point. Maybe he's that extra guy that they can keep stretched out. And I, I don't know if he can fix it on the fly. Maybe he needs a full off season to go through some, like a full healthy off season to go through some more adjustments before he's going to get back to being the guy that he was. So I'm disappointed. I was hoping he'd get a, a longer window, but Atlanta is an organization making quick decisions. They are they are not they are not sitting around waiting for things for several months. And we talked about it on the three O show. Memorial Day last Monday tends to be that cutoff where a lot of teams start to say, Okay, this isn't working. Let's make a big adjustment. I was surprised you told me before the show that Anthony Volpe was available in your TGFBI league. It's a fifteen team mixed league, it's a pretty deep league. He's hitting homers. He's stealing bases. He had a rough May, for sure. But here we are sitting on June 5th, and the Yankees are being patient so far. So you picked him up, so you must have an expectation that they will continue to be patient, and it probably didn't cost you that much in fab, relatively speaking. So I'm just curious, how did uh, how did you come to this conclusion, and how, what gives you hope for Volpe to start to put more pieces together in the next couple of months? Well, I... <laughs> I'm having a little buyer's remorse, actually, <laughs> Uh-oh. because uh, I kind of just thought, you know, if Anthony Volpe came up right now without any of what he'd done, uh, he would cost more than I'm than it's than he cost me. He cost me like a uh, hundred bucks out of a thousand, right? What was the next highest bid? Do you happen to remember? Three dollars less than mine. Okay, so you you didn't overpay by. By the market, market forces, yeah. yeah. I paid, I think I paid, it was 108 to 105 or something. So, uh, you know, I it was like almost a keep him honest bid where I was like, well, I need homers, I need steals. And if this guy was coming up, you know, from the miners, I would bid on him, you know. Um, but now that I'm looking, there's a couple of, uh, there's a couple of things that are worrisome. You mentioned that his April was better than his May and you kind of look at the rolling graphs, you'll see these chasing more and hitting fewer fly balls and striking out more. 
Those are not good things, all those things. And then I thought, well, at least he's playing a solid defense and he's, you know, he's he's being what the Yankees need in terms of an everyday shortstop. And he has a minus four outs above average. Um, which... which is interesting. I, I mean, I've seen enough Yankees games and, and highlights and I, I, I thought, thought he's looked bad. pretty good at shortstop overall. I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being duped by the pinstripes. Yeah, and I just, uh, I worry that, you know, Isaiah Conner-Falefa has a three outs above average, you know, and I just, I kind of don't think that this team is going to go backwards like that, you know, like I, they made the decision to take IKF off the position, they put the, the young guy in, and I was there early in the season uh for games i was there for the second and third games of the season and people were excited about volpe i mean he's a local kid they were chanting his name it's you know he's a guy they love they everybody wants him to succeed so i kind of just have the feeling he does have a little bit more uh runway and that he's done a little bit of enough uh and he gives them that speed dimension uh that you know with Bader out and uh he's like he's their speedy guy you know they just want him to get on base and start wreaking some havoc on base and play a solid defense i don't i'm not sure he's doing the second half and you know the 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 chase rates going the wrong direction all that stuff makes me a little nervous that i just blew 100 bucks but at the same time you can blow 100 bucks on anybody and the fact that this guy has retained his role uh is interesting to me i think um you know, he's retained it through through some thick and thin. And if they give him another month and he shows some adjustments, um, I, I think, uh, and long-term, uh, how, how do you feel about him long-term? Generally good. Uh, I think it's not totally unlike the optimism I have for Gunnar Henderson, though I would say I feel even better about Henderson. Yes. Yeah. And it's easy to see the a little bit more signs of life and he chases less, but, you know, Volpe hits the ball hard, and he runs real fast, and he's he's a pretty good player. 10.6% barrel rate, so he's, yeah. he's making enough hard contact where he doesn't look overmatched that way. I, I think it goes back to what you said at the very beginning. If, if the Yankees had decided, we need more time with Anthony Volpe at AAA. We want to give him two more months at AAA and make sure that he gets 300 plate appearances at that level. He had 99 there at the end of last right. season. The level of excitement upon arrival, even if he had done similar, let's say he got a little better at AAA, kind of split the difference between his AA slash line and his AAA slash line and give him that same kind of power speed mix. What would the bid have been been upon arrival? Triple what you had to pay, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think this goes back to a conversation we've had on a few occasions where you you take a, a really good prospect and Make them struggle for a little bit. Take some shine off. (laughs) Take some shine off. The projections go pretty hard to the tank in many of those instances. Because they weren't that positive to begin with. Because the the projections don't love prospects to begin with. Generally, you're right. Yeah, Kyle Tucker was a good example of a player like this where he was so young for the level everywhere he played too. And that's the the case with Volpe. You you look and you say, this this still works. The 22-year-old in the big leagues. So the problem, the problem comes from well, it's so we're only playing for this season. Like we're, we're analyzing two different things. We're analyzing right. Volpe for the next four months versus Volpe for the next four years. The next four years still look like they're gonna be very good. The other part of all of this, it's just the way numbers work. Let's say there's six months in a season because there are. 
You could have your worst two months in the first two months. There are established veterans that do that, right? There's 30 combinations that you could have for your worst two months because any one of the six months could be your worst. Then the remaining five, any one of those five, six times five is 30. I think I did the math right. And, and there's so that means like three, three and a half percent of the player pool has its worst two months to begin the season. And those are the players that end up on the waiver wire because in the case of Volpe, you do have to worry about demotion. Young player, it's, it's more viable compared to Ahmed Rosario, who's not going to get option to AAA and probably isn't going to get put on the bench either just because they're, they're, they're looking at him as a guy in the final year of a contract, right? Before they lose him to free agency. They're going to keep playing him. But these are concerns nonetheless. So yeah, either they're going to be bad and trade him or he's going to get better and be part of the reason they got better. Right. So they don't so want to he, kill his trade value. And there's not really that much options that are better. So I think here it's not totally unlike the situation in Colorado, but the difference is Ezekiel Tovar was horrible in April and showed a lot, a lot of growth by comparison in May. He looked more like he belonged in the big leagues in May. It was a 266, 310, 457. It's a 93 WRC plus. You can live with that for a 21-year-old shortstop if you're happy with his defense. I think the Rockies are happy with Tovar's defense. But in both cases... Even with the Rockies not contending, they could say, well, he's just struggling too much for too long of a stretch. We're going to send him down. The Yankees are more complicated because they're contending. Every single game matters in terms of trying to win the division, trying to make sure they get into the playoffs. I like both of these players. I trust Volpe a lot more. Volpe's chasing less than Tovar. He's stealing more bases than Tovar. The power looks more legit. All those things are good. And he's also in a good hitter-friendly environment. Team situation is tougher. But even if he's in the bottom third of this lineup for the next two months, the counting stats are probably better from Volpe than they are from Tovar, if playing time's equal. Hmm. Assuming Aaron Judge's toe is okay. We're still waiting for an update on that. It's funny that you mentioned Ahmed Rosario. I, I took a look at the uh, biggest recovering, the, the biggest recovery last year between the first uh, four months and the first two months. So the, the second, the latter four months in the, in the, in the first two months. And... Uh, Ahmed Rosario is on there. <laughs> the 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 I think the biggest uh, recovery was is pretty obvious. Is Marcus Semyon? He was the biggest story last year in terms mm-hmm. of a player that started out poorly. And I just wrote last week in caught looking my um, my notes column about how Marcus Semyon uh, was switching teams and there was a lockout, you know, and had young kids he's waking up at six a.m. to send him off to school. So just a really a, a lot of factors on the personal level that I think contributed to that poor start. And then, you know, he got to where he gets with his hard work and uh, and quality and talent that he's got. So uh, Simeon was one of those. Nathan Lowe, uh, Nathaniel Lowe was a second. I think maybe there was a little bit of a, a talent breakout there. Um, you know, um, Andrew McCutcheon, though, just a veteran that had two bad months and then four good months, you know. Uh, but then Ahmed Rosario is right there behind uh, Julio Rodriguez as uh, guys who had really better second halves. He had a 118 WRC plus in the second half and a 67 uh, in the first two months. And so as much as like we look at these players and we try to like, you know, find these like, you know, process-based trends and say, oh, you know, oh, Volpe's chasing more like that's a big problem like do you think there was a lot going on for Ahmed Rosario in the first two months last year that you were that you would say oh yeah like you know he's about to figure this out you know 
Uh, and, and now you look at Rosario right now, you say, well, he's striking out too much, you know, he's his worst, uh, you know, second worst string strike rate of his career, and he's not barreling the ball, and I don't know, man, I, I wonder, I don't think Brian Rokia is necessarily better, and um, I wonder that uh, that this player, I don't, it wouldn't surprise me at all if this player had another four months where he hit 270 and hit eight or nine homers and stole 10 bases and ended up with very much the same line as he did last year. And that's exactly what all the projections suggest he's going to do. Yeah, right. <laughs> hard hit rates as good as it's ever been. 45.7%. It's a career best hard hit rate. So there's some got to be some bad luck cooked in there. Fred Rosario so far, even if even if there are some flaws, he, the flaws he's showing are flaws that he's shown us in the past. There's nothing new happening here, really nothing. I mean, I, I, that's why we hew close to our projections. At the same time, we try to discern uh, between the different uh, you know process based stats to see if like maybe a player is a little bit more likely uh, than another player to to make it happen and then the last pit is always the team context which just makes it so hard i mean there's no there's no projection that's going to tell you that rokio is the uh, solution and, and i would say that if you look at uh the team usage i don't think that they necessarily think rokio like that, that they are going to take rokio and uh replace ahmed rosario with him uh, when Rokio comes up, he, I think Rokio's come up this year where he hasn't played and gone back down. Yeah, he's um, he's 22. He's a switch hitter. I think Fancrafts has him down for a 34.4% hard hit rate at AAA. Just one homer in 47 games at that level. So it's more, much more doubles than anything else. 106.5 max EV at AAA, is, that's below average. What's going to make Brian Rokio a good fantasy player is stealing a lot of bases potentially. He's 12 for 12 as a base stealer in 47 games at AAA. If he's going to bring 30 steel speed and a good average, decent OBP, and he's going to score runs because he could be atop the order. They can't afford to put another guy like that in the lineup. I'm sorry. Not with Rosario and Straw. and like. No, he would just replace Rosario, right? If, yeah. if there's a team a, a team that's contending, and maybe Cleveland still is, you could replace Rokio with Rosario and still not be giving up. And I think that's what Cleveland does. You mentioned this, I think, on 3-0 show last week. You can play the middle, as they often do. Cleveland is Oakland East. I've seen that on Twitter. I think it's uh, RD Top, one of the guys I, I like to follow for Brewer stuff. He's right. Like that's a fair way to put it. They they run thin budgets. They play both sides. They are constantly wheeling and dealing and trying to squeeze every ounce out of their forty man roster as much as any team does. That's how they operate. So you can trade a Med Rosario and run, still be good enough in the central. Better, I think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, geez, like just the, a, like better player development. We're talking about you know. Pre twenty twenty one, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of that's where they live. And if they if they make that move, is that a a white flag move for the Guardians? No, it's not. But would it would it necessarily be Rokio over Arias? I I've seen Arias playing all over so far. He's twenty three. Like utility guy, he strikes out a lot more than they usually like. More barrels, so more like a guy we would like. Doesn't run. Not amazing barrels. Hits the ball on the ground a little too much. Yeah. Chases a little too much, but young. When you look at his overall body of work and you go back to 2021 at AAA, he was a 21-year-old at that level, coming off of a lost season, skipping over AA. He had a good year at AAA that season. Mm -hmm. That was a 115 WRC+, which for the age is very good. 
Yeah, you have to remember that because even when he re-upped and he wasn't as good the next year, he had an 89 WRC+. Plus. We just had that math that was uh, presented to us by Nate Stoltz and we talked about on Project Prospect that you know, in 2022, he's a 22-year-old uh, in AAA, which the average age is something like 26, 27. So that 89 WRC plus is not as bad as it looks. This is a, you know, this is kind of reminding me of, uh, it's not Isak Paredes. It, it's another, it's a guy that we've talked about the Frankenstein. They take all the best attributes of a player and <laughs> smash them all together. You're like, okay, you've shown this here and you shoot this, you showed this other skill here. If you did it all at once, You'd be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Like if he had his twenty-two percent strikeout rate from that AAA year, and he had the walk rates he's shown in the major leagues, and you know he had the, his best power numbers. Yeah, he could put together something special. I actually kind of like him. The more I look at him, I, I I see more good, and maybe it's because I'm so frustrated by the other types of hitters that Cleveland has. I, I like that they're giving him some playing time, but he could also get passed over for guys that they like a little better, the more well-rounded players, and he could be stuck in that glue guy role because they have depth. If they ever do that thing that I want them to do, which is sort of buy a power bat by collecting some of their prospects together, a power bat with team control, not some sort of rental, you know? Um, like the Eloy Jimenez thing we floated on the 3-0 show. Um, that was the other reason why I like RD Top. He suggested the Brewers should swoop in and do that. I didn't suggest that. <laughs> so... <laughs> yeah, two teams that uh, have surprisingly bad offenses, despite they both have um, they both have identities, right? <laughs> like they both they both have players they like and types that they like, and they're and I I could be convinced that both of those ideas are good ideas. Like the is it a good idea to have a lot of contact hitters? Like yeah, I mean like sure, that's great. Uh, but the the power guys that they've tried to supplement with those have not worked out. I mean, Man. we talked about Jesse Winker a few weeks ago. He and has that, been. I thought awful. that was good process, but it's it's he's just not been the same guy since the surgeries. I think. Yeah, just never made it back healthy. I mean, as far as your your power hitters that do consistent damage, it's basically Rowdy and William Contreras, and then secondary power sources. You get a little from Yelich. Adamus has been hurt, but, and yeah, well, but he just got hurt ready. recently. Yeah, but he he should be. He should be better than he's been so far. And you can see their process in the past seems like it, it's solid. Like they got Adamus for, you know, injury starters when they had they had like arms to, to spare, you know? They got Rowdy on like a claim, I feel like. You know? It was either a claim or a very minor trade. I forget offhand if it was completely free or not. The Jays squeezed them off the roster because they didn't have room. Yeah, it was a minor trade. Bowden Francis and Trevor Richards. Yeah, Trevor Richards. They got a reliever for him. But, I mean, this, the, you know, again, this is twice that they've traded relievers for people that uh, that are contributing maybe more than anybody else in their lineup. So, um, and, and at the same time, they've had a hard time, like, putting together a full lineup. <laughs> They just, I mean, they've had a ton of injuries. So Winker yeah. is finally on the IL now. So you add him. Urias Garrett Mitchell got hurt, hurt early all, in the year. All season. Barry yeah, Mitchell's been hurt all season. Nothing from Urias. Recently, not getting anything from Adamas. That's only been like a week. Tyrone Taylor's back on the IL. And so many of the injuries on the pitching side, too. This team has been absolutely rocked by injuries between Woodruff, Ashby before that was going to be an important guy, even as kind of the glue guy. And they've they've reached yeah, down to the Ashby. point. They're starting Julio Tehran, dude. Like I that, can't believe that. 
That is unreal. And Colin Ray, both. Both of those guys are in the rotation. Oh, and Adrian Hauser's in the rotation because Eric Lauer and Wade Miley are hurt. They have been crushed by injuries and somehow have kept it afloat. 4K9. (laughs) You could only do that for so long before everything falls (laughs) apart. (laughs) I don't know if there's a lot of internal help coming for for the pitching side. His walk rate's been bad. Ethan Small's moved to the bullpen, so maybe we'll we'll see Small in that multi-inning relief role. I I got to see how they're using I mean, him more recently. At least a triple A. Maybe if he had a, a couple of games in a row with a little bit fewer walks, you could see Gasser. Walk rate's been brutal, but it's like, do you take the chance on the guy with the bad walk rate at least instead of instead of Tehran? Like I probably would at some point. Like how? Yes, how comfortable are you I throwing so. Julio Tehran at this point? I'm not. I'm not at all. Let me see if I've got some model numbers on Gasser. Yes, I do. Uh, Gasser. Let's see here. 113 uh, stuff plus on the curveball. That's good. Uh, 100 on the sinker. Uh, 97 on the cutter. 95 on the slider. 88 on the changeup. 85 on the four seam. So it doesn't love his four seam, but I love that he has six pitches. And I see an out pitch in the curveball. And I bet you the slider's fine, even though the stuff plus is mediocre. So. It's an interesting it's an interesting grouping though. Uh none of the location pluses are above average. In fact, they're all pretty bad. Yeah. The uh the other part of the Brewers that I think I keep going back to is with all the problems they've had and being a team that has a eighty eight WRC plus, I think, entering play on Monday, twenty five percent K rate as a team. Everyone's clamoring for Ellie De La Cruz to get the call up from the Reds. No one's clamoring for Jackson Chorio to get that look from the Brewers. But if you fancy yourself a team that should be in the playoffs and you want to win that division and you are depleted by injuries the way they have been, you have to at least consider it if you feel good about how he's playing at the double A level. Just skip him over triple A entirely or give him you know, two weeks, three weeks at triple A, make sure he doesn't fall on his face and then give him the call. Yeah, he's not gonna turn. He's not gonna turn twenty. Like you can't wait till he turns twenty. He's not turning twenty this year. <laughs> I would say that the last time I looked at his WRC plus in Double A this year, it was worse. So I think he's on his way. And if we're doing this math again, I mean, he's nineteen in Double A. Uh, supposedly, you would add a hundred points of WRC plus for him to get him to average. So he, he would he actually ridiculous have home a 199 too. WRC plus. My favorite Jackson Churio home run so far was like a 99 up at the top of the zone that he hit out opposite field. I was like, that nice. is, that's awesome. Yeah. Right, let's, and let's, let's do that. The, 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 a little bit outside swing strike rates, but could be somebody that is just a bit of a free swinger that uh, still hits for power. But Man, this is going to be fun. He, he is going to be a fun player. If they call him up, Soon, growing pains are clearly part of it, but he's going to be a really fun player to watch for a long time. Are you struggling to close deals? B2B selling is tougher than ever, and that's why I want to tell you about LinkedIn Sales Navigator. LinkedIn Sales Navigator is a sales intelligence platform that helps professionals effectively prospect and engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator helps you target the right buyers, surface key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and shows you hidden allies so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, 
enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash rates23. That's linkedin.com slash rates23 for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash rates23 and get started. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I also think they have two buy low starters on their team. Um, I continue to think uh, Corbin Burns is going to figure it out and and, and uh, he's going to strike more people out to, to be commensurate with his stuff numbers. And um, and I think I've seen we've seen a little bit of that um, recently. And then, I, you know, there's another name on there that uh, we've loved forever that I think op- is, a, is a buy low opportunity that both of those guys getting back on on on. Uh, on plane uh could be could be great uh freddie peralta looks uh like not great uh by results but all of the projections say uh better is coming uh and the stuff is uh the stuff is there they need it badly i mean it's i'm patiently keeping him in my lineup start after start even when he hits uh, the occasional speed bump it's not great so far. 462 ERA, 141 whip. 23% K rate is a career low in the face of a walk rate that's still normal. A home run rate that's become a problem. That's not usually an issue at all for Freddie. It's how he gets away with that slightly elevated walk rate. I think the most encouraging sign of all, fastball velo. 94-7 for him working as a starter. as a career high for Freddie Peralta. That, to me, is a big part of the answer to the why would you be optimistic about him going forward based on what you've seen. I saw your, yeah, your projections with Jordan Rosenblum, sub-4 ERA, 27% K rate the rest of the year, and he's got a 100 location plus. So I think that's a slight improvement for Freddie as well. There's some underlying adjustments he seems to have made that maybe are going to make him a better starter in the long run. So I think this is important for the Brewers, but something that we can probably try and take advantage of maybe via trade in leagues that allow us to make trades. He has a real tension, I think, between, you know, he has these two dominant pitches in the fastball and slider, and then the idea that he wants to turn the ball over, he wants to turn the lineup over, he wants to go deeper into games, he wants to be a starter, starter, not just a, you know, a five-inning reliever or whatever. So he is throwing the curve and the change, um, you know, a little bit more. Uh, than he has in the past, um, and you know, you know, adding that together means he's throwing the fastball and slider less. But you know, it's all to good cause, and I think that you know there could be a, a, a sort of a, a good mix for him in there, where he's like, okay, the changeup's going to be more of a show me. You know, uh, the curve is going to be my third pitch. The changeup's going to be a show me, and that's how I'm going to avoid some of these homers. So there's going to be, I think, a little bit of a, a, a mixed tweak. Uh, that I would guess in the next few uh, weeks, and uh, we'll see that strikeout rate get back to normal uh, and get some nice zeros out of him. 
my hope is that by the time I get back to Wisconsin, I didn't mean to suggest that I have a big move and then not tell people where I'm going. Moving back to Wisconsin. Uh, everything's great. California is wonderful. California has been great to me and my very family. Very expensive. It's very expensive. <laughs> and uh, the childcare alone, like the, we started doing more math. We knew this was coming. It's like, yeah, you know, maybe the third year in California is going to be uh, a little, a little too uh, expensive to be fun. And that was the that was the final solution. So we're going back to Wisconsin, which is is great. Uh, they brought back buffalo tenders at Culver's, which is the reason why I left in the first place. <laughs> so now I can move back. <laughs> buffalo tenders are it's huge. Always man. way easier as a child if you're near family. I mean, that was yeah. a big part of our move. We were in in New York for ten years. And we didn't have any family nearby that could help with a baby. And we just uh, looked around and said, I don't know. It's going to be pretty hard. Everything you like about a place, if you don't have a kid, completely changes, I think, when you have one. So anyone who's <laughs> yeah. experienced that knows. I love going back to New York now. <laughs> I'm like, sure. no kids? Yeah, I love this place. <laughs> we'll probably come back and visit several times in the years yeah. ahead because it's been so good to us. So the move is only a month away. So yes, yeah, uh, second time in three years that I'm doing the big cross-country move. <laughs> uh, this year, my dad drew the short straw and gets to drive with me back, so... Uh, yeah, that's going to be a lot of fun. But the question we had that actually kind of connects to Freddie Peralta comes from, oh, no, there was one. There was one other thing. I hope that Freddie Peralta has improved enough to where I don't feel like I'm going to get kicked out of the supper clubs and bars when he pitches, because I, I think I got the ass so bad one night when Freddie Peralta was getting squeezed in a start. And part of it was his own fault because his command has always been kind of shaky. I was almost asked to leave when I went out for my fish fry. I was getting belligerent about it. I was asked to leave by my family, not by the, not by the establishment itself. They're like, you're unpleasant right now. Like, why don't you just take your food to go and go eat in the car if you're going to be this much of a jerk? So I'm just hoping Freddie has has grown to the point where I can still you know go out to eat with my family and not have it ruin my night. But the question we had about Location Plus from Olaf, is Location Plus shape adjusted? For example, does the model look at a four seam and say, these are good places for four seams, or does it look at the shape of the four seam and say, these are good locations for four seams that act like this one? I guess the differences could be subtle, but I would imagine that for a fastball with insane ride and velo, you can get away with going higher out of the zone, or maybe for a certain type of gyro, you can always stick it in the low and away pocket and it's incredible even without typically great shape. Yeah, uh, this is on the list of things to do. It's a great question. We do not do it right now. We do not shape adjust. Um, and uh, by pitch type adjusting, which we do, we are shape adjusting, but uh, not in a refined way, <laughs> as he's pointing out. So yeah, generally, four-seamers have more ride, and so you can get a general four-seam uh, map. But there are kind of more two-plane four-seamers and you know, super riders and, 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 and the kind of the cut four-seamers, the guys that don't have any sort of horizontal movement on their four-seamers, the cut riders. So um, yeah, doing that would be more specific. That does bring up some philosophical questions about what you want your measurement to measure, um, you know, and uh, and the role, the, the intertwined role of stuff and command, and how it might be impossible to separate them. But do we really like? Do we do want to separate them? Another way of saying this is: Are you by shape adjusting your location plus actually bringing? stuff plus into your location plus mm. and 
if you are doing that, are you muddying the waters or are you creating a better stat? And some of that just comes out in the validation process. And you say, well, our new location plus with the, the shape adjusting is better. So we're just going to go with it. And that's fine. That's a way to do it. That's that's probably how we will do it. Uh, does it make the model more predictive? Does it uh, does it is it stickier this way? You know, uh, that's that'll be something that we'll look at. But there is a philosophical question. It's like, you know, do you can we are trying to separate these things to stuff and command and like really trying to keep them separate. And, uh, you know, is shape adjusting location plus kind of bringing them closer back together again? Um, but uh, a lot of times you can just be qualitative about it or quantitative about it and just be like, does it make the model better? Then I like it. <laughs> and i and i have an inkling that it might make the model better i i think of it a lot of times with adam Ottavino. It's like adam Ottavino's big old sideways breaking ball does that have you know different location pluses than logan gilbert's little uh you know tight power slider so there's uh there's definitely something there and it's a great question all right well, thanks for writing in olaf I got a few other questions about the pitcher rankings, a few guys that popped up at various spots that I think are, are challenging to evaluate right now. Uh, Aaron Nola fell to number 26 in the rankings that went up, and if you haven't checked them out and you don't have a subscription, you can do that. $2 a month gets you in the door at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. The main question I have about Nola is where did the strikeouts go? Aaron Nola has shown more variance than I would expect for a pitcher with his skills by results you look at the eras and whips that he's thrown up during his career and you're like wow the the good years are like even better than you'd expect them to be and the the disappointing years are worse than they should be and that's probably a whole conversation onto itself but 21.5 percent k rate this year for aaron nola that's a big drop from where he's been for most of his career it's the lowest strikeout rate he's had since he debuted all the way back in in 2015 so you pair that with a jump in homers compared to last season and quickly see how the ERA is now up in the high fours. Uh, but the strikeout specifically, do you see those coming back from Nola? And what's been the problem for him for these first two months? Well, his fastball velocity is down, you know, and the way I've been explained uh, is that uh, he had doing it on purpose and that it's his way of dealing with the pitch clock. Mm, um but um i see that as a problem and uh i'm beginning to to suspect that he sees it as a problem too because it is ramping back up so he he was comfortably 91.5 and low 92s until about five starts ago and the last five starts have gone 93.3 91.5 again 92.5 92.3 93.4 so a little bit of an inkling of like maybe he's getting tired of these results and is going to throw harder but that's something that's sort of secondary we can't the machines can't see that so the machines see lower fastball velocity he has the lowest stuff plus of anybody in my top 30 um other than Zach Eflin, who's uh, got a great home park compared to Aaron Nola. And, uh, and, the, and the, 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 the projected strikeout rate is about the same as his actual strikeout rate. So I, I just looked across that and said, oof, like this is, this is Stuff Plus is capturing this. This is a guy who has, he wasn't ever a guy that had, you know, uh, 120 Stuff Plus overall. Uh, but this is down for him. And so I see stuff that's down, projections that are down, 
bad home park. I mean, you know, if you're running a team, he's still a top 30 pitcher. He's still your ace. You know, it's it's okay. But you might also say, hey, I don't know, man. Maybe you got to at least sit the 93. Yeah, I think when I look at Nola right now, I mean, the thing that he's always done well is have a pretty deep arsenal. His location strategies look good as far as like where he's throwing stuff. This, yeah, this all makes sense. We, we popped up the Savant page on, on YouTube if you happen to be watching there, but it doesn't look like a location problem. It is interesting that... He's always been good at this, yeah. We, we probably have other pitchers who have adjusted their own velocity, right? They've, they've taken a little off in hopes of not wearing down with the pitch clock. And now we're probably far enough in. If you've, if you've had a dozen starts like Nola has, and you say, this is just not going the way I thought it would, you'd make those individual sorts of adjustments. So the optimism probably comes from a very long track record, great location, all the ingredients other than Velo still being there, and the trust and belief that the Velo drop is, in fact, by control and seeing those little upticks more recently maybe give you that extra confidence you need. But even if, like, I was asked about this maybe a week ago on the Rotowire XM show, and I said, well, if you look at Nola in this package, if the Velo doesn't go back up, he's probably an SP3 or an SP4 the rest of the way. In this environment, that's still someone you're going to use just about all the time. Oh, yeah, it's like, it's still good, even though it's not what you hoped for, not what you paid for back on draft day. And it's really tough to like. I would. It would be tough for me to sell low, even though I, even though I have him ranked lower than maybe some people, uh, because it would, he's useful. He's healthy. He's there. He's going to get your wins. You know, like like what are you going to get back? If you were going to sell low, like I think the most likely thing is somebody would be trying to sell high and sending you like Bryce Miller and you know what I mean, like two sort of guys that you can't depend on as much in terms of projections right like at least Aaron Nola is projectable veteran you know gonna be there they're not gonna send him down you know what I mean like there's you know he's he's gonna be there and uh, for what it's worth my projections are not actually that far from anybody else's uh, we had a, a straight four ERA uh, and a 25% strikeout rate um, uh, we've got a 391 from zips with a 26% strikeout rate uh, so we're just a little bit more pessimistic, but, uh, you know, you can see that in our projections, uh, the, it gets to fours really quickly. He's the first four, uh, you know, in my rankings projected wise. So I did push him a little bit higher than, you know, an Eflin is a three, nine, one or Joe Musgrove is a three, eight, six. I have him higher than those guys. Um, but you also see that by the time you're in the mid thirties in my rankings, everybody's over four, you know? So you kind of have to, on some level, just recalibrate and think, you know, a three, nine, one, a four, that's okay. The other pitcher I thought we should talk about today, maybe there's not time for two, but there's one for sure. Nathan Evaldi has been excellent. I just imagine that he's pitched so well and the team is playing really well. So the team context is probably better than we thought going into the season. It's really hard not to push him into the top 25. Um, I got some feedback like that. But when you when you look at the underlying skills, he's been this guy before. This is what he, this is what healthy Nathan Evaldi looks like. Yeah, and I think you could start also... to you could start to argue though. You could say, well, this is just a great home run rate. This is a, a very good pitcher with good skills who's also having a nice run of luck on homers, and that's made him play at this elite elite level. And the other part of this is like. In my mind, he's one of those players that I, I'm always wrong on his age. Every single time I look at the age column, like he's wait, he's only 33. He's not 36. He's not 37, 38. He's 33. 
But he's so, an old 33. He's know. an old 33. <laughs> I mean, just last year, we saw him start out really well, and then the, the fastball velocity just declined over the entire season. We've seen him uh, multiple times, you know, surgery and, and, and pain uh, and missed time. So, you know, some part of this, and I think a huge part of these rankings, that if you disagree, I think often the source of the disagreement is how many innings are you expecting the rest of the way? How much health are you expecting the rest of the way? Um, and, uh, you know, that in that case, like, you know, he started out 96. He was doing some 97s. His last game was 95-3. You know, um, is that, you know, he started out last year 98s and 97s. And then just about the time June started, 96, 94, 94, 94, 94, never got above 95 again. So uh, there was, uh, I know it sounds a little bit like, oh, he's a slow starter or he's a bad finisher. A lot of that stuff is not predictive. But generally what I'm saying is this is an oft injured guy uh, who's had great stretches like this before and uh you know has generally not been very sturdy and so that's baked into the projections a little bit for me if you were going to go the challenge trade route would you offer evaldi if you had him to get aaron nola which who i have higher you've nola ranked higher right i mean the velocity trends are are going the right way for nola and the wrong way for evaldi and I have Nola ranked higher. I have Nola giving more innings. I have Nola giving more strikeouts. I have Nola getting more wins. So yes, it's tough. It's it's just tough though. It's tough to actually do it because because <laughs> you're looking at you're standing at a two two ERA. Yeah. You see the numbers you're like wow, I'm giving this away, and I think it's the right process, but doesn't make it any easier to actually. The way I always make it. it easier for myself is to just add two more players to the deal. Yeah, right. You, you balance it out by getting something else. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna send you Ivaldi and this hitter, and you're gonna send me Nola and a better hitter. And then you might win on both parts. Yeah. And then I I also feel better about trading with the guy with the two ERA. <laughs> I didn't get all the way through the comments on the rankings, but I wonder if anyone was asking you about the Michael Kopech turnaround and whether or not we could start to believe in that. He came in at number 61 in those ranks. Last four starts, a 205 ERA, a .57 whip, and a 38-4 to strikeout to walk ratio, just three homers allowed. The thing that caught my eye, though, digging a little more closely into the schedule was Royals, road against the Guardians, home against the Angels was the the one in which he but got hit got a little Miami bit. he's got Miami next, I think. Yeah, it's a good run. And Tigers, home against the Tigers. So three out of four at home, three out of four easy matchups for Kopech. But, okay, making your layups, if you're not... If something's oh, was wrong, he, was he Miami next? I think what does he have next? I'm gonna look. I liked his next matchup, but yeah, what, what you were saying—is it just matchups or? It, I think it's more than just matchups, though. This this is a level of of pitching well that's not just beating up on bad teams. I think this is a guy that's also fixed some of the issues he was having earlier this season. So, uh, when how much more would you need to see before you start to trust Kopech again and nudge him back up? Because I think. At his absolute best, I saw him as kind of a top 30 starting pitcher. And it's not difficult to imagine him getting back to that level if the walk issues he was having earlier in the season are truly fixed. A lot of threes, fours, a five, and a six all sprinkled in there in the first eight starts or so. But the control being better is, I think, a huge part of why he's turned things around recently. 
and that's and that's why uh that's why i'm buying is you know this is a guy who's always had good stuff plus and you know 114 stuff plus it's he's the got the highest stuff plus uh south of 42 in my rankings you know um and that was that always had me pushing him up more the reason i didn't push him up even more than i did was that the projections the 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 ppera projected was 444 and i think that has a lot to do with the park factors uh and and past results as well as um you know poor command but he's a guy with bad knees that you know it seems like they're feeling fine and he's commanding the ball better so um yeah i could push him i could push him a little harder into uh into the 50s i mean i think you could have an interesting would you rather between him and tanner hauk um maybe interesting would you rather between him and clark schmidt who you know also has good stuff plus numbers and some up and down results uh but i do think that once you start pushing him to the low 40s if you made me do a would you, would you rather between him and blake snell or uh marcus stroman or taj bradley i'm i'm more likely leaning to those 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 latter names than michael kopek i think think i'm only bradley i think that's the cluster where i'd have him i think bradley mm-hmm. over kopek is where i'd be a little more comfortable with bradley because the, the control looks better mm-hmm. brad kyle bradish versus kopek is tough kyle bradish is tough i mean he started turning around in the second half last year pitching well right now it's not a great fastball so you know you, i think you're always just nervous with the not a great fastball guy where you're like oh it's elite breaking ball but you know every once in a while he'll get keyholed and they'll just go off on the fastball you know yeah yeah i think that's uh it's a good way to put it so i'm thinking about in the future uh you know doing some study in the off season about the stickiness of fastball forcing fastball stuff less year to year if that's a uh something that should be emphasized more in the projections especially year to year um if players with good fastball uh for uh, uh, stuff pluses um uh, are better bets as their mixes move and change around them you know what i mean like um if if uh that should be somewhat more emphasized if we should start picking apart the per pitch type stuff pluses in our projections and weighting them more that's not something we do yet you have to remember this is we're three years into stuff plus existing in this form um and we have we're in the first year of projections but that's the exciting thing that projections can do for you is start to pull apart some of the stuff we're talking about and kind of put that ensconce that in something that's more regimented and and weights these things year to year, uh, but I I do have my eye on on fastball stuff plus as something that might be slightly more important uh, than the rest of the the package sometimes. Very cool. Uh, we're gonna move on from pitchers. Get to a couple mailbag questions before we sign off. We had one from Kevin. Uh, Kevin writes that he is a travel registered nurse and we get him through a two and a half hour weekly commute across the state of Michigan. That's awesome. Great work, Kevin. Glad we could help uh, make those drives a little bit easier. Kevin wants to know what's your out like. What is your take on Jazz Chisholm's future outlook? I'm in a 12 team dynasty keeper league. Would it be out of line to think I could get one of these guys straight up for Jazz? He's got Bobby Miller, Tanner Bybee, Dylan Lesko, Gavin Williams, Gavin Stone, Tyler Soderstrom, Nick York, Colt Keith, and Oswald Peraza. Uh, I think. In a dynasty league, Jazz is probably more valuable than just about everybody on that list. I mean, I think you'd be moving Jazz at a relative low point since he's hurt right now. I still think he's a player you want to have on your team in the long run. I think we've seen we've seen enough good underlying skills, even though there's still a lot of swing and miss, to be generally optimistic. And 
I think the other part of, of what we've seen from Jazz is uh, Esteban Rivera over at Fangraphs had a nice breakdown of, of how well he's transitioned into center field. He does look very good out there. I, I think he plays up the middle. You're not worried about playing time. We're seeing power. We're seeing speed. And even if he's always going to be a higher K-rate sort of player, he barrels up enough balls to get away with it, and he draws enough walks to not be a liability in OBP and fall in the order, even though the OBP has run a tad low through his first 1,000 big league plate appearances. Yeah, at 25, I think you can still play the Frankenstein game and pre- be pretty excited about how you could come out with this. I mean, right now he's showing his best chase rate of his career. If he puts together the best chase rate of his career with the best barrel rate of his career, I mean, you could have a really special season. He's the only guy on that list that I think is capable of an MVP type season. Um, and so I'm going to keep around. I'm going to keep this around uh, a little while longer, at least to sell high versus low. Um, the other thing that uh, is funny to me, though, is um, I did have a trade in in one of my leagues that made me super angry where last year uh, Jazz was traded for for some prospects that I, I didn't think were quite up to the value of of Jazz and maybe for a second want to quit the league and I, I was pretty angry and in some part of it is jealousy like oh i kind of wish i had offered two lesser prospects for jazz and had jazz right now <laughs> you know uh part of it is uh, we just didn't see eye to eye about jazz's future and that other owner thought you know this is a guy who struggled to keep a 300 obp that just had a 325 obp for one season um you know i'm selling high on this guy you know and uh, I think that's fascinating because it's uh, his his viewpoint on it could be right, and could be. I could be wrong. I mean, we we now have uh, four seasons uh, four seasons of major league data, and only one of them is really comfortably clear three hundred OBP. Um, but uh, I don't know. The athleticism is superb, and you're just hoping that a little bit of learned experience in games. And you you can see some of that in the chase rate, you know, just as that learned experience goes hand in glove with his uh, with his athleticism, that there really could be a special season in here. I think you could probably justify trading Jazz in a situation like the one Kevin described in his email if you were playing for this season, so you couldn't really wait for him to get healthy. He's close to coming back, though. Um, you take Jazz and you get back. A young pitcher that makes you better. Bobby Miller looks legit. Bobby Miller looks like he's. But then I want like an pitcher. Altuve or something back to you know, like I want like an old guy that's give me an be old better. player that I trust to to fill in that spot that doesn't have a lot of long term value but has plenty of short term value because then at least I'm I'm covering the Jazz spot in a way where I'm I'm like happy with what I'm getting from the hitter in that place and then I've got the extra thing that I need that could be a good long term keeper. That'd be the only way I'd really think about trying to move uh, Jazz Chisholm in a trade. Yeah, because right re- we don't recommend usually trading for pitching. But in this case, if you were like Jazz for Altuve and Bobby Miller, is that, am I, am I like, is that crazy? I don't think that's crazy. Jazz is the youngest guy, the most upside. The other guy could be thinking, I'm trading a pitcher for a hitter, like a long-term hitter. You know, Maybe you'd have to throw something into that to make it work. But You probably got to balance it out a little bit with a second player going back. But that's yeah. the framework I'd be thinking about if I were going to make a deal like that. Um, John wanted to know, is it time to trade away Luis Robert is playing well, and it might be time to get ahead of the next IL stint. I think with with Luis Robert, it's similar to the problems we've seen for Jazz, but better overall results. A little over a thousand career plate appearances now. 
Lowish OBP at 329, but not problematic. Good batting average. So if you're in a typical league that uses average, a 283 career at hitter is, is great. And we're seeing enough barrels. We're still seeing pretty erratic O swing percentages. That's just part of who he is. Part of the good includes that process. So that's not going to change. I'm wondering with Luis Robert where the stolen bases are at right now. Yeah, two for that's, three in stolen bases in 58 games. Like that's the missing part of his game this that's year. The, that, that's where my my eye went, and uh, you know he is. Uh, this is his second slowest season in terms of times to first. It's his his uh, told his uh, you know he is, seems to be slowing down a little bit compared to when he first got into the league. However, his sprint speed is 82nd percentile still. You know, so he's not slowed up all the way it must be an idea of i want to stay on the field and stolen bases are just another way i can get hurt however if the stolen bases aren't there and i don't think the plus obp is going to be there most seasons you are talking about a guy who's a little bit too uncomfortably profiling like a 260 30 homer hitter with five stolen bases you know what's strange to me about Luis Robert is that he shows clear like high-end raw power. That's never been a question, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we have the barrel rate, and that's been there every year. That's good. It's like he has a mysteriously low hard hit rate right now, 33% hard hit rate overall. Like when he hits it hard, it's, it's only in the air. It's only in the air, which I, I mean, that's not a bad thing. It's more just a strange thing. Uh-huh. So he's a really complicated player to figure also, out. Also, like his strikeout rate has been very different in different years, but his right, he, whiff rate has always been bad. Yeah, so it's like do you just average everything out and say the answer is in the middle that the the career numbers, the 24% K rate and the 5% walk rate, those then are the plate skills he probably That's has. That's a 280 average with a 330 OBP. Right, and that kind of gives me more of like an Adelis Garcia mm. result. Defense is going to keep him in the game every day so long as he's healthy. Like, there's no no playing time concern. He's 25. I'm not sure I'm selling. Right. The 25 year old version of a guy that we had a hard time believing in because he did it at 28. It's like, well, okay, this this actually can make some sense. Adelis Garcia, after 1,300 plate appearances in the big leagues, has actually started to make better swing decisions too. He's down to a 31.2% O swing this year. Yeah, That's and 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 game. Robert's O swing is the best of his career. I I, I kind of think you know Robert is a guy that I do want for the next three years, and then I'm not sure I want him at thirty. You know, sure, and he's 25, so like you said, there's plenty of time to get good value here. So I don't really see this as a sell high. I actually see this as an opportunity to get really good production and kind of wait and see what happens with those steals. I don't have a good reason beyond what yeah, you know suggested. Yeah, it's either going to be good or great, and that's like that's a good place to be. Yep. So thanks a lot for that question, John. Uh, last question came from Eric. Uh, what are our thoughts on Taylor Ward? Was last year just a oh, flash no, in we're the checking pan? Back in with Taylor Ward. <laughs> yeah, I'm always Taylor like, Ward. no, he's still doing everything good process wise, but uh, <laughs> it's a little bit uncomfortably boring. Well, okay. So and he's 29, so he does not have age on his side. Still hitting the ball hard, not barreling it the way he did last year. Or the year before that. Chasing more than he has. Mickey Moniak's there to take away some of the playing time, potentially. Mm. And in a platoon scenario, Moniak would play more if they like him and trust him. 
The he, alternatives in Eric's case were, uh, this is a points dynasty situation, Jesus Sanchez, who's actually hitting the ball hard and doing some good things. Striking out a lot. Jake Fraley, who looks pretty good overall, and Trevor Larnick. I think Fraley would be the swap for me if I was going to make a move. One thing that's a problem is that you see missed games on Taylor Ward's game log. Um, you know, games where he's pinch hitting and then fully missed games, I think, too. That's not good, you know. <laughs> no, that's uh, not. And then you think about that outfield and you're like, well, Trout and Renfro most days when they're healthy. And so it does become a kind of Taylor Ward versus Moniac thing. And this is one, though, like the the results so far this year look worse than they should be. I'm not talking about X stats. I mean, I, I'm saying if Taylor you covered Ward. up, yeah, for Taylor Ward, if you if you cover up the slash line, and you're looking at a strikeout rate like that, and a whiff rate like that, and a barrel rate like that. Yeah, you you would expect two sixty three thirty five four seventy, and no, yeah, you're two forty one three oh eight three fifty four. Projections still like him. So are you trusting the projections with Taylor Ward? The only difference for me with Fraley is that Fraley steals some bases. I think that's where you get a little extra. I think they're actually kind of similar in terms of lower. And I love Jesus Sanchez's batted ball stance. Is it finally happening for Jesus Sanchez? We've asked that question half a dozen times over the And for what it's worth, he's kept his strikeout rate under 30% two years now. Like we're, We're going on 420 plate appearances now where it's under 30%. So he might be at 26 to 27%. Like Jesus Sanchez in a dynasty situation, you're getting four years back. I don't know. Sanchez is maybe the the way I'm going. It's to me, it's Sanchez if you're playing the long game. It's Fraley if you're playing the immediate who who helps me the most right now game. Yeah. And in either case, Ward is maybe third place. Or second place to to you whatever your needs are. Hmm. In like an AL only, I would love to trade for Taylor Ward right now. I think. Yeah, and if Evie pops up in a but then I don't have Jesus Sanchez like available as an alternative. So. Sanchez is really interesting right now. It's, it's a, he's missed time with an injury, so it's only ninety-seven plate appearances this year. But these are similar skills to last year, with a few improvements sprinkled in there as well. And if if this is the everything is clicking. That gives the Marlins a pretty dangerous bat, at least on the big side of a platoon. Maybe they won't play much against lefties because they don't have to, but maybe it finally is happening. I just said this in a bad way about uh, Robert, but Robert is, was expected to be kind of a 30-30 guy, but like I see Sanchez as a guy who can hit 260 with 30 homers and five stolen base. Yep, that will work, and, and underlying tools have always been there. So this is the time to get in if you're going to take a chance on Jesus Sanchez. That is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. Got lots of great we stuff made it lined through. up. We did it. The internet held Thank you, up. The gods of internet. Yes, I will. Uh, I will withhold my praise until uh, after the it, after the internet provides a chance to upload the episode for people to listen to. But uh, <laughs> very encouraging that we didn't have to splice multiple files together. That's way too much behind the scenes. You can find Eno on Twitter at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. We're back with you on Tuesday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.